0: We're looking at the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be in chapter the chapter 16, basically. We're going to start in chapter 15, but before we get to chapter 15, I'm, I would like to read from Psalms, because one of the things that we'll see is we're looking at, in chapter 16, we're looking at an epic final battle mentioned in the book of Revelation, but that battle has been set up for a long time, and so we find it. Uh, uh, foreshadowed in Psalm 2. Please read with me Psalm 2. It'll be on the screen. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the, Lord's, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king upon on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It just, it's a story, uh, a passage of scripture that, that tells us of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world and that he will be God's king, he will be God's anointed. And then look very carefully at what the rest of the scripture says. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the, of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. That passage of scripture just tells us something that we know about throughout human history The enemy, the devil, that we've looked at in this book of Revelation, has enticed all of us to be involved in this rebellion against God. He enticed Adam and Eve, seduced them, tempted them. And so it's been ongoing, but that will be culminated in one great final battle in the Bible, and it's that battle that we're going to consider today. It is not, by the way, a battle of country against country or army against army, it is the final battle of men against God, and that battle is called the Battle of Armageddon. Now, you've heard about that, and you've heard that word, but we're going to look at what it says in the Scripture, and we 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 depend on Scripture to paint our pictures and not books or movies or even sermons, so we just need to look at what the Scripture says. But what's important today, and what I've tried to tell you as we've looked at this book, is It's important for you to determine whose side you're on. If you're on the devil's side now, you'll be on the devil's side then. If you're on Christ's side now, you'll be on Christ's side then. But who do you belong to? Do you belong to Jesus or do you belong to the the devil? In this book of Revelation, we've seen that some people have the devil's marks on them. It's called the mark of the beast. And some people have. The mark of the Lamb, they, they are sealed, they are safe because they belong to Him. So it's important that you decide whose side you're on. That's what the message of the Bible is about, about you making that decision, about you determining how God wants to be at work in your life. So today, we're going to look at chapter 16, but before we do, I'd like to read you the last verses of chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. We're in the book of Revelation. The verses will be on the screen. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. After this, I looked, and behold, the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels, the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now what I want to do this morning is lay out this passage of scripture in in terms of modern warfare in the terminology of modern warfare, uh, and the reason I want to do that is because I think it helps us understand the flow of this passage and see what's happening. So, where is God? Where is God in this? The end of this 15th chapter. Well, He's in His sanctuary, and 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 smoke has fill the place where he is. We see that several times in Scripture when the glory of God fills the house of God. But essentially, I want you to see that God is in the situation room in heaven. So something important is about to happen on the earth. God is about, again, to intervene in history. And in this moment, when God is about to intervene in history, he, he's about to, to send out his, his uh, soldiers into the world to do battle. Uh, so we see this, this moment of anticipation when something is about to happen and, and no one can enter. It's sealed up, it's secure until this happens. Now we have a situation room in the White House in Washington. Uh, we probably know a little bit more about it than we should do. It's not just a room. Turns out there's been a $50 million upgrade of our situation room in the White House. It's a complex, a 5,500 square foot complex and uh, there are people in there 24 hours a day, military leaders and intelligence officials monitoring things as they go, go on around the world. At any given moment, the president can call in key leaders into the situation room and they can take action and monitor what's happening in some cases in real time. Think of the tension, the pressure, and the power of such a place. Well, what we have here pictured in the Bible is the moments before God is about to intervene for the final time in history. And so it's it's a moment of anticipation. The glory of God fills the place. It's sealed off. No one else can enter until this is completed. So what is about to happen? The next thing you need to see in this picture are those who are the soldiers in God's army. This is number two. Remember... In the book of Revelation, the whole point of the book is that God's people are in trouble. God's people are in danger. And so the dragon, who is the devil, the ancient serpent, Satan, is intent on devouring God's people and destroying God's purpose. But in the book of Revelation, this is not the first time this has ever happened. There have been moments throughout history when this happened. When God's people were threatened and God said to his people, don't worry, you don't have to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so instead of God's people fighting, God fought their battles for them. And sometimes uh, we see that happening in, in, in supernatural ways. And that's one of the things, uh, one, one of the things that's going to happen here. And in, in the Bible, God's soldiers were never his people They were always his angels. So in the Old Testament, the Lord is called the Lord of hosts. That's one of the names given to God. But the Hebrew word for hosts is a word that you might not know what it means. I didn't know what it meant until a few years ago. I just always accepted it as a host meant a bunch. But the Hebrew word host means an army organized for battle. And therefore, when if you have the New Living Translation, every time you see the Lord of Hosts mentioned in the Old Testament, it will read, the Lord of Heaven's armies. His armies are angel armies. Jesus said in the New Testament, you might remember the moment he said, did you not know that I could at, at any moment summon 12 legions of angels? A legion is 6,000. It was 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's 72,000 angels. Jesus said, I could summon 72,000. But it's interesting that all the Lord needs at this moment are seven. Seven angels. These are his soldiers. For this moment at least, these are the soldiers in God's army. You might also want to know that as we get a little further in the book of Revelation, you find out who the captain of the armies of heaven is. That's also in this book. And the captain of the armies in heaven is Jesus Christ himself. You might remember in the Old Testament when Joshua was going to fight the battle of Jericho, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and you know that story, just the night before Joshua was going to do battle against Jericho, he was overlooking the city of Jericho and the Bible says that he encountered this figure, this personage with a drawn sword in his hand. And so Joshua, not knowing who he was, said, uh, By the way, uh, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And this is in the last verses of the fifth chapter of Joshua. You can read it for yourself. And he said, Neither, but I am come as captain of the armies of the Lord. Take your shoes off your feet, for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Who is the captain of the armies of heaven? Who is it that Joshua was standing before? And why was that holy ground? Here we have another holy moment in the Bible. God is about to intervene in history. His people are in danger. Angel armies are about to come to their rescue. Now we come to chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Then I heard a loud voice from The temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Notice what they are. It really doesn't matter from this point what happens because what's he pouring out? He's pouring out the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores, came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood and I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink, it is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was the Lord allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Now, what we read in these verses concerns, first, we had God in the situation room in heaven. Second, God's soldiers, the soldiers in his armies, they are angels and what we see here are sorties of judgment. I didn't know what that word sorties was either, so I'm gonna explain it for you. I didn't know what it was until a few years ago when we started watching things on TV about some of our armies and the battles. It means an incursion, it means an attack, Uh, and it's always referred to usually as some kind of bombing raid, a sortie. And so what you see here are sorties of judgment, Waves of judgment that come, that are poured out by God, that are sent from heaven against the, these who, who are his enemies. These waves of judgment are poured out across the world. By the way, what I've tried to show you in this book, I've tried to, to demystify it just a little bit and, and help you see how really it has some practical application in our own lives. There are cycles that take place in this book, and every time the cycle is the same. It carries us, if we go all the way back to chapter 6, the stars fell from the sky. Uh, the, the, every island and mountain was moved out of its place. The sun became black. The moon turned to blood, and people cried out because the wrath of God was coming. That happens at the end of every one of these cycles. It's going to happen again at the end of this cycle. We're told the same thing over and over and over again, God taking us to the very end. So now we need to consider who, the, who are the stated enemies of God's people. If this is an attack by God on his enemies, if he's in the situation room of heaven, if he's sending out his soldiers, if he's sending sorties of judgment, who's he going to attack? Well, the Bible clearly says, so we're looking at how they are identified. You'll notice in verse 2 that the sores come upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worship his enemies. These are the enemies of God. The devil, the dragon, the serpent, the beast, the false prophet, Those who follow the beast, these are the enemies of God. So, again, it's important that you determine whose side you're on. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not, you're one of God's enemies. That's just what the Bible says. We were enemies of God before we came to Christ. We're under his judgment. Jesus said, those who believe not are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What we're seeing here is the gospel. It's the gospel preached and proclaimed over and over again. It's important for you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in him. Of course, we've already established that the beast, under the sovereignty of God, according to the scripture here, is allowed to make war on the saints and and to conquer them. So, Look at verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So the beast and all who follow him and worship his his image are enemies of God. And so uh, according to who will be a part of the kingdom of the beast, Uh, In in the book of Revelation, look at chapter 13, verse 8. Chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on earth will worship it. Everybody on earth? Well, no, not everybody. It's just everybody whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Everybody who doesn't belong to Jesus, everybody who doesn't belong to Jesus is going to be a worshiper or a follower of the beast. And so that's important to see. So remember, we're talking about that final epic battle at the end of time when men gather to do war against God. And you say, I didn't know there was anything like that in the Bible. Well, there is. Look at verse 12 of chapter 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And then Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed." and they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now there are some things I want you to see from this verse, these verses, two things I want you to see. Number 1, I want you to see the secret strategy of God at work in the camp of the enemy. So are we living in the shadow of Armageddon? That's one of the things that we might be concerned about. Could we in our day the events that we see being played out on the history of our world, be somehow connected to these things that we're reading in the book of Revelation? Well, that's one of the questions we have. But one of the things I want you to see here is it's interesting that that one army is uh, already knows the secret plans of the other. It's strange, isn't it, that, that, that the devil's secret plans are known by God and they're printed here for us in Scripture. And one of the reasons they are is because there's a plan of God at work, even in the devil's camp, and you'll see this here. You remember when God says it talks about God parting the waters of the, or drying up the waters of the Euphrates, so the kings of the east can come. Do you remember uh, in the book of uh, Exodus when God's people came out of Egypt, how God parted the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went across on dry ground, and then Pharaoh said and his army said, we'll go across on dry ground. And they went across on dry ground, and what happened? The waters came over them. And so you see God parting the waters. He doesn't need a long, slow drought to dry up the waters of the Euphrates. All God needs is one angel to pour out his bowl. And that's what happens here. Then just as we read in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth will take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, we often hear people take this book of Revelation and they talk about the battle of Armageddon and they talk about all these different countries that that will be fighting each other. This is the whole world. The whole world. The kings of the whole world. And if you look at chapter 17, verse 14, you'll see who the war is against. They make war on the Lamb. That's Jesus. They're fighting against Jesus. And they'll be incited to war by these unclean spirits, these demonic spirits proceeding from the mouth of the dragon and from the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the... They'll be deceived, but they'll not only be deceived by these demonic spirits. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that God will send on them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words... Just as we read in Psalm 2, God in his sovereignty is going to laugh at these kings as they make their plans of rebellion and war against the Lamb. Their plans are ultimately his plan to bring them all to destruction. So this will be that that great battle. Now the side of that final battle is the next thing we need to see. I, I, I remind you that this battle is mentioned by name only once. In the, entire Bible, in the entire Bible, you'll not find the word armageddon mentioned again anywhere in Scripture, not in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It is not the battle of country against country or army against army. It is the epic final battle of men against God. Now, I realize there, there's a great deal of interest in this battle, but the battle has only really one foreshadowing in the entire Bible, and that's in the book of Judges. Uh, when there was a king named Jabin and he had a commander named Sisera and Jabin had 900 iron chariots and the Bible said that for 20 years that king and his kingdom had oppressed God's people and there was a woman who arose in that day the only woman leader ever in the history of Israel her name was Deborah and Deborah encouraged uh, another guy who was with her named Barak and, and they led a, a battle against Jabin and Sisera and these 900 chariots that had been wreaking havoc on God's people. So it's another one of those moments in the history of God's people when God's people were in danger, they cried out to God. And let me tell you how that battle was won. According to Scripture, King Judges chapter 5, verse 20, from heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. Now in the book of Revelation, stars are angels. And so what we see here is this supernatural deliverance that enables us to have and and by the way, the place, the place is also important because it says in first King Judges, I'm sorry, Judges chapter five, verse. 20 or or verse 19 that this took place by the waters of Megiddo. Megiddo by the way was a plain but you might find it interesting to know that Armageddon does not mean the plain of Megiddo it means the mountain of Megiddo and there is no such place. There is no place like that. Now is this telling us that there's going to be a mountain near Megiddo where a battle can be fought like this? Well let me just tell you Uh, practically speaking, as I have read, there is no modern army on earth that can fit on the plain of Megiddo. It's too small for that. It's too small for that. So what's pictured here? Let me give you, uh, I like to read old books, not new books. And so this this is not very old to some of you, uh, uh, but it's old to some of you. So this book was written in 1939 by a man named William Hendrickson. He wrote a book on the book of Revelation called More Than Conquerors. And let me just tell you what he says about this passage of Scripture. This is the picture that that, uh, he would have you see. When the world, under the leadership of Satan, anti-Christian government, and anti-Christian religion, and the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, gathers against the church for the final battle... And the need is the greatest. When God's children are oppressed on every side, when they cry for help, then suddenly, dramatically, Christ will appear to deliver his people. When the forces of the enemy have gathered against God's people, they are not making war against his people only. They make war against the Lamb. So we don't have to fear the size of an army. We don't have to fear the lies of the enemy. We keep our eyes on heaven The God of angel armies is always on our side. Now, we come to verse 17 of chapter 16. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. So we come to the seventh angel in the seventh bowl. This is the final sortie of judgment. And this is the, basically, we've come to the end of another cycle. We've come to the end of all things. How do we know that? How can we establish that? Well, if you go back to chapter 15 and you read verse 1, when all this started, he writes, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them... The wrath of God is finished. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said was, It is finished. And here you have a great cry from the throne of God. It is done. Judgment has come. There are more details in the chapters that follow. It's told us again in a different way. With more details, we're going to see that, but this is judgment. All the mountains and islands disappearing, massive hailstones fall, all the cities, all the cities of all the nations fall. But in spite of this, no one is saved during this period of time. You'll notice that because it's already decided where they stand. You either are on the side of the devil or on the side of the Lord. Those who belong to Jesus, follow him and bear his mark. Those who belong to the devil, follow him and bear his mark. If you belong to the devil now, you'll belong to the devil then. What is important in between now and then is to determine where you stand and on whose side you're on. We look at the world of our day and as we we look at the culture, let's just look at the culture And let's just be honest. The church is going to be in for a difficult time. We're going to be facing some difficult days. You might be facing some difficult days. And just putting all that aside, life is difficult anyway, isn't it? It has enough problems. You know that you're sealed. You know that you belong to the Lord. But you've not been sealed from sickness. You've not been sealed from suffering. You've not been sealed from sorrow you're not even going to be sealed from death. There's no promise here that you're going to be sealed from any affliction that the dragon, the devil, might place on you, but you will be secure from the wrath of God. Until then, mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need, I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Minor days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ, I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. But mine is armor for this battle, strong enough to last the war. He has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Would you pray with me?